Welcome back to the Bitten Peach Pod. This is a podcast chit-chat show all about queer Asian life with queer Asians talking about their lives and their culture and the things that matter to them or things that don't matter to them. And today, I am here as always, your host, Shay Shay, but I am visited by an extra special guest. All my guests are extra special, but this one is extra with three X's special. This is Shiva Raichandani. Thank you so much for having me here. This is so exciting. Welcome. <laughs> How Welcome are you? to the podcast. Thank you for being one of my first guests. This is only our third episode, but third of many. Many, this will never be ending. Now, I need to know, where are you now, this exact moment? Oh God. That's quite the existential question. Oh. Where are you? <laughs> yeah. Oh, too deep. Too yeah, deep. Too could, soon. You, too soon. No, no, Sorry, no. we Let's started deep. deep. You could, I could be talking about like the latitude and longitude. I might be talking like I want an address. I want a zip code Ooh. because I want to yeah. send you something in the mail. Yeah. Or I mean, like on the astral plane. Where are we? Yeah. Where are you? Are you on a journey to finding you or are you running away from you? A bit lost, I'm not going to lie. A bit lost. How is lockdown in London? <laughs> oh, literally just taking it a day at a time, trying to tap into moments of joy and just keep a bit sane. It's a bit, it's not the easiest, but we're pulling Because I mentioned when we first jumped on this call that your hair is looking very long and you said it's because you can't get a cut. But I have to say it looks really good. So I hope you're embracing this long hair, don't care attitude. Thank you, thank you. It, it's literally don't care attitude. It's not anything else. It's not an. It's not an aesthetic or fashion statement. I literally just couldn't care. It's a less. political statement. It absolutely is. It's dissent. It's visual yes. dissent. It's actually, you know, like yeah. This Have is you a, this had is what it is. your hair this long before? No, this is the longest it's been, which is weird because I'm still trying to figure out how to manage it. And like I've had because I, I don't have like clips and stuff. So I'm trying to like tie it with scrunchies okay, and stuff. Yes. Now, for our listeners, your hair is thick, wavy, and it's like ear length, I would say. So are you are you, are you going to embrace it? Because as you know, I'm on a hair mm. journey myself. I've been growing my hair. I get trims, obviously, but I've been growing it for like over five years now. And my goal is mermaid length. I want to be able to emerge from the sea, from a body of water, where my hair is parted on both sides, and it just covers each nipple. I love that. That that is stunning. That is stunning. I love that. No, I I would never be able to pull that off. (gasps) Why not? You could have long hair. Your hair would be so thick. I see, that's it. I don't mind long hair, but I just feel like it's just it gets okay, in the way true. too much, and I'm so lazy. I just am not good with maintaining I hair. That. So yeah, and it's not easiest when you're dancing because then you're true. just like your hair is just everywhere, and true. I can't deal with that. But do you know what's amazing when a when a dancer does have really long hair, their hair is like it's like another uh, limb. It's the whole, like you whip your hair back and forth and all that stuff. Yes. I don't know. Yes, that oh. is the scientific term. <laughs> Isn't that a song? I'm, I'm terrible. I'm sorry. Is it's that a, a song? That is a it's song. It's a song by Willow Smith when she was like <laughs> yes, yes, yes. 12 years old. She yes. came out with a rockin' tune. Willow Smith now just releasing spiritual songs. Have you been listening to her recent songs? No. What's she doing? Yeah, they're quite like spiritual. I mean, yeah, it's way the different. The Smiths in general, that family yeah. seems like they've, they've like evolve to the next level absolutely i'm i'm very amazed by it but i will say something i do not like something i think that's quite tacky about the smith family Uh is that will will smith's daughter is named willow 
and Jada Pinkett Smith's son is named Jaden. <laughs> like, come on now. I mean, creative, creative. Yeah. Uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, I was watching a documentary about them. They named their children Desi Jr. and Lucy. So I'm like, Lucy Desiree. I don't don't get the whole junior thing. Like, I don't get the junior thing. It's that legacy thing. It's the thing. It's straight people. It's straight people culture where they're like, my offspring. It's all the eugenics, right? It's just eugenics. Exactly. Just carry on the tradition, the bloodline. Oh, boring. So you mentioned dancing earlier and how hair gets in your face and whatnot. And I've seen the way you dance. I can imagine if you had long hair, it would be in your face, in your mouth, like around your leg, in between your toes. It would be everywhere. (laughs) Quite literally. And when we had lockdown... The first time round, mm-hmm. back in 2020, if you can believe, we're ta- we're thrown back to almost a God, year ago. It feels like ages ago but now. It was almost a year ago. It feels like ages. You you were doing a lot of online dance stuff. Yes. And were you doing that? Were you doing that on your own, or was that through the London School of Bollywood? Um. So I thing is because I, I used to be part of the London School of Bollywood and take their classes weekly in a studio. I have currently moved on, but back then, yes, I did it under their brand. Oh, you're no longer working with the London School of Bollywood. I am not. I've decided to find my own place independently. Okay. I, I respect that. I once upon a time was part of yeah. um, Sink the Pink. And thank goodness I'm not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because it, it allowed me all the space and room to advance yeah. and do my own thing. Absolutely. And I don't think I probably would have started the Bitten Peach if I was still a part of that brand. True. Because let's be honest, it, it, brand. Exactly. I was literally going to say that it feels mm-hmm. like a brand, not a family that you've been able to create with the Bitten Peach. And it feels so, so nice to be part of something that is full of love honestly like beyond anything there's just so much love for everyone and that resonates and it shows but i will i do want to ask a few questions about when you were with the london school of bollywood because you were on tv many times yes so i mean even though i'm no longer part of the london school of Bollywood, i have so much so much love and admiration for the group um because it's given me so much so much so much it's helped me explore my own gender identity, my own gender expression, my relationship with dance and the arts by large. And I owe them a lot um, because I wouldn't be where I am today without sort of their guidance, their input and their encouragement. So there's so much love for them. But I think with any artist or anyone, there comes a point where you feel like it's time to move on and try different things and see who you are, what your identity means outside of that bubble that you've been a part of for a while. Okay, wow. Diplomatic queen. What a diplomatic answer. That was like a Miss America answer. Loved it. Um, but when you were with them, you you as you said, you learned and grew so much and you actually had the opportunity to appear on the television and I am a sucker for popular television, popular TV, and popular culture, and anything popular. So tell us, you appeared on, let me get this straight, you were on Britain's Got Talent, India's Got Talent. France has got talent. Okay, yeah. And what what were you doing on France has got talent? What's that? Who knows? Who knows anything? <laughs> Apparently the French are into Bollywood. Wow, did not know I that. I have no idea. It was so surreal, though. Like, it, 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 all of those experiences, I mean never could I have imagined being in those spaces because it's 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 very rare that you see queer people of color in those spaces in the first place. And so to even be there was just quite the culture shock. I'd okay, say. yes, because 
as you said, you know, we don't often get to see queer people of color on TV. And you weren't just there as like a queer person of color. You were there as like a visually non-binary person. And you were like the star. First of all, you're like decked out. You're gleaming. You got your makeup done. You're being hoisted <laughs> into the air, lifted yes. like the goddess Thank you God are. Thank God for that. And you're not like a drag queen. <laughs> you are visually no. gender non-conforming, gender non-binary. And so... I'm kind of curious, like, what was the response to that in these different countries? Because, as you said, we don't see that on TV a lot anywhere in the world. So what was, what did, what kind of response did you get from people? I think it's so interesting that you say that it felt very non-binary because a lot of the people just um, assumed that was drag, that was a costume that was put on, whereas it wasn't. And it's just who I am and how I'm comfortable expressing myself through music and dance. Not that it's one fixed way that I present, but it was one of those things that I really enjoyed doing because it was nice to sort of challenge the heteronormative narratives that we have in Bollywood. Not to say that gender nonconformity is anything groundbreaking or new or anything that I did was radical in that sense because so many before us have done that and have um, broken the boundaries for us to then be in those spaces after them because they've paved paved the way for us. But I can understand how within that specific context, within those intersectionalities of my identities and being on a British platform where they may not have had that sort of imageries um, before or experiences of those um, on a platform like that may have been something very different to them, which it was because a lot of people then reached out to me saying how they either loved it or hated it and I say that with great like like you know pronunciation because there were a lot of hate mails death threats it was vile like my inbox was full and just terrible and it was just weird because I mean we knew that we'd have we'd have this controversy we knew that we needed to be prepared for whatever pushback that was to come but I guess... Nothing can really prepare you. You can't really prepare... Exactly. Nothing can really prepare you. Um, From the community, I think there was a lot of love. So I would not discount that. There was a lot of appreciation, love that came my way. A lot of people that started reaching out to me and coming Mm. out and sharing their own stories, which was very humbling because I think I would have benefited benefited from that had I seen something like this when I was younger. Because obviously it's not like there weren't any sort of queer people around, but having that conservative upbringing, you didn't have exposure to those visuals or that representation around you or even the vocabulary to address anything like that so just very different i guess in addition to being like reality tv competition show star you gave a ted talk at some point was that off the back of those tv appearances was it separate how did that come about so we were actually invited to perform um at tedx london based off of obviously our appearances on Britain's Got Talent and the like. In addition to performing, then they invited us to say a few words. And that just like threw me off guard because it was very last minute, but it was also very exciting because that's obviously such a beautiful platform to be able to speak on. Um, But I also appreciate... Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, the the reach of it online is huge. Massive. And people take like years to prep for a TEDx 
presentation or a talk. So I was definitely underprepared because you could see me like with my sheet of paper panting and huffing and puffing after dancing, suddenly delivering like a speech. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The fact that you had to dance and then give us talk was like, <laughs> she does it all. I mean, gotta, gotta give them everything. Versatility. We have to yeah, show it. Verse, non-binary, all of the above. All of it. All of it. Otherwise you're missing out. <laughs> And how was the response from that? That was great because that was a completely different audience. And it was just interesting to see how people reacted to that. Um, Obviously, because that's in addition to the dancing. But it was a great exercise for me personally as well to sort of really... Because obviously that was like the first... Britain's Got Down was the first time I played with my gender expression so explicitly. And to sort of really hone that grounding of being non-binary was made easier by verbalizing it in that speech during TEDx Mm -hmm. so it was almost very Mm -hmm. affirmative Mm -hmm. for me like easing myself into this and making peace with that and being comfortable with that so it was almost like beneficial for me Mm. yeah because it forced you to like be like well I've got to say it yeah so I better feel it. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it becomes be all true. the more real. It becomes very definitive that, yes, this is who I am. And now I'm sharing that with you. And you said, like, this that was the era when you first, like, explicitly were, like, playing with your gender. But I imagine it must date back to Little Shiva. Little Shiv. Yeah, ages ago. Ages ago. There's li- there are literally, there's, like, footage and pictures and audiovisual uh, documentation of me just playing with gender in all ways possible whether it was through clothing outfits demeanor it's just all there there's actual documentation of it i feel like i feel like so many of us like queer people trans people non-binary people if you were looking it was clear from the start no one because when you're a kid you're not like you're not as bogged down yet with like the confines of what gender is supposed to be so you're like I see a thing, I like a thing, I don't know that it has a gender, and I'm going to play with that thing, do that thing, act that thing, whatever. If, uh, don't you think it was just a lot more liberating then? Just to have that freedom of not being confined to any label? Well, I have this theory that a lot of queer people, specifically non-binary people, and um, that didn't get a chance to have an authentic youth getting to dress and act the way they did once gender started being enforced. I have this theory that a lot of those people start living that out in their adult lives when they are more comfortable with their gender. And that's why I think so many non-binary people dress like children (laughs) in like bright colors and dungarees and like bucket hats. Like I really, and like, it's fun. It's colorful. It's fun. Like I'm not knocking it, but I have noticed like a lot of non-binary people do have have like a childish joy to the way they dress. I love that you say that because I think along with that childlike joy, not just because obviously you've mi- you've had that missed opportunity to explore that in your youth, but it's also about being not just playful, but also being okay with making fun of yourself because you know it's not serious and you're able to just yes. live without that serious um, policing or judgment of your own self because you know at the end of the day, your clothes don't define you and that fashion is just an accessory. It's an addition to who you are, but it's not who you actually really are. So that understanding is so beautiful to have. Absolutely. Because like, I think once you realize gender is something thing to be played with, you realize clothes can also be something to be played with because clothes are probably one of the more gendered parts of our uh, at least visual lifestyle. 
Um, and once you know, you can play with it. Mm. It can be so much fun. I'd say by extension, even makeup. Like, even that has been... Oh, absolutely been, makeup. Like, terribly gendered. And I'm just like, we need to degender everything and be fine because then and i think it's it's just not it's obviously not just obviously for queer people but i feel like cis straight people also need to just question their relationship with gender just for not not Mm. not that i'm saying that they need to obviously come out as anything but just to understand why they may sometimes subscribe to certain norms or stereotypes and how they actually genuinely feel about it whether they've allowed that space and comfort level to explore what they actually like enjoy I think they would be a lot more peaceful for them to delve deeper, I guess, and just look within. And I think if a lot of uh, cis people did do this looking within and analyzing the things that they like and enjoy, they'd realize that some of the things they already like and enjoy might not align with the gender that they are assigned. Yeah. And that's fine. Like, it's absolutely fine that men, quote unquote men, Mm. like and enjoy things that are for women Mm. and, Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Like... Once, if they were to realize like, oh, like actually, I, I mean, if, if people were to realize that, I'm, I bet you a lot more people would say, well, I guess I guess I'm kind of non-binary. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in addition to that, I think because what that would do is being kind to your own self. And in doing so, you'd be able to offer that kindness externally to others as well. And wouldn't that be a nice world? Oh, wouldn't it be nice if people were nice to each other? Basic, simple human decency. I know. It's a laughable concept. <laughs> so human decency. We mentioned we mentioned Little Shiv and all the documentation mm-hmm. of you destroying gender from an early age. Yeah. So I have to ask the question that every person of color loves so much, and that's... <laughs> Where are you really from? <laughs> oh, God. It's like the bane of our existence, that question. Just like from I know, everywhere. And the worst part is if you actually are from multiple places that you yourself don't know what you call home, it's even more difficult to address that. Exactly. That question's only easy for like people that are from the racial majority of the country that they have nationality to and they have lived there their whole life. That's kind of the only way that it's an easy question. Um, So it can be answered in any way you want. And something that me and Mahatma developed together was it could also be worded, what is your origin story? (laughs) (laughs) Where did it all begin? The drama. I love that. But it doesn't even have to be where it began. It could be like, where was your childhood? Or where did you become an adult? Like, where are you from? Where are you from? Could mean more like, what is your family like? Anything that you think from your upbringing, of any part Mm. of your upbringing, has shaped or, or created the foundation of who grew into you. See, that's the thing, because I still find that very complex to answer because I feel like... Well, it is. Whatever space I've been in or occupied or been privileged to be a part of has inadvertently shaped who I am. Totally. Whether it was a good or experience or bad, it's just helped me become what I am or who I am. So, well, well I'll give you like the the, well, the basic answer, I guess. I was born in Hong Kong 
I was there for a few years until I was, I think, four-ish. And then I moved to Dubai. I lived there for two years. And then my parents got separated. So I moved in with my mom into her maternal house, which is in Indonesia. So I grew up there for like six to seven years. I went schooling. Now, mind you, that is... Indonesia is a Muslim country, but I was also part of a Pakistani school. So my entire circle of friends and teachers were all from Pakistan. Okay. And even though we had an international GCSE curriculum, so that was an interesting aspect of my upbringing. So I grew up with that Muslim culture. And then I moved to India uh, for five years. I was in boarding school there for five years. And I think that was quite the seminal stage in my life where I discovered my... I mean, I knew I loved dance, but this was a formal discovery of it being a viable career okay. and something to pursue so that was in india was it was a specific boarding so school these... like with a was it was it just a general boarding school or was it like a performing arts school or anything a uh, general boarding school in fact it was a catholic boarding school so there you go that's another element what? of the kind of upbringing yeah oh so gosh. different religions different cultures all of that has informed my worldview. And so today when someone, and obviously now I'm based in London, so when someone asks me, where are you from? And obviously they don't want the answer South Hall because apparently that's not cool enough. And they don't <laughs> believe that I'm from South Hall. Actually, I mean, the first thing they say, oh yeah, it is the very Asian area, right? But where are you actually from? I was like, wow. Yeah, okay. where are you at? Actually, actually from? Where are you really, really from? from? Oh. Like, oh, It's like you already know how they, like, like even say it in their minds. It's just, Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> like, but where are you really from? Like evil grin. I'm like, Ugh. but yeah. So I still don't know. If someone asked me where I was from, I think depending on the context that I'm in, I'd answer it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, not everyone that you meet on the street deserves that much detail. Exactly. Because exactly. sometimes, because exactly. sometimes, what Absolutely. they want to know is like your ethnicity. Yeah. When they say where are you really from, they want to know why is your skin the color that it is. Yeah. Because I mean, sometimes I ask, and I realize that it's still a difficult question to answer. Where did you grow up? Because you would have four or five answers for that. Yeah. And like, it's yeah. funny because like I would say I grew up in California, but actually, where did I grow into myself? London. Yeah. So it is confusing. So wait, so how did you... Okay, I have too many questions. Let me think. (laughs) Which order should we go in? Let's go in order. So when you were in India at boarding school, Catholic boarding school? Yeah. Christian boarding school? Indian Indian school. But so in South India, there is a massive um, Christian Catholic population. British. British invasion. (laughs) Colonialism. Um, So it was funny. It's funny, I say this as well, because when I was in Indonesia, I would sing the Pakistani national anthem every day in assembly. In India, in the Catholic school, I was in like the chapel singing choir every Sunday. (laughs) So it's like completely mind-boggling. But obviously we would sing the Indian national anthem as well. But I think just being exposed to different cultures was nice because it sort of makes you empathize with the similarities rather than the differences that we have. Obviously, keeping in mind the difference and respecting that, but finding common ground was paramount, especially in a boarding school when you're living with 40 people in one room. It's not even like you're living separately. 40 people, 40 guys in bunk beds in one room. And you're listening to people fart and like groan and moan. And you're just like, why am I here? Like literally. I only ever had to sleep in a room like that for one week. And it was, I was only in fourth grade. And I remember (laughs) 
<laughs> by the end of the week, I was, I was, I, I was, I, I don't want to say I was traumatized, but I, I found the whole thing traumatic. <laughs> it is very much so. Now imagine that for five years. Oh my god! <laughs> Little non-binary use like no, 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 no. Where's my room? No, I no. need my own suite. <laughs> Literally, I would have to like my my way of like sort of grappling with that would be like I need to get up before everyone so that I occupy the bathroom that I want and there's no one around me because you have like it's a communal bathroom, right? So you have like twenty bathrooms and everyone's showering together and you're like I'm too conscious of myself and also of mm. potentially being identified as queer because it wasn't seen as it was very much taboo and obviously back then in India homosexuality was criminalized and I knew of people yeah. who were queer that were being expelled once they were identified as queer <gasps> so I was like no. I need to like shield myself and like protect myself oh so my that god I because don't not follow. it was a religious school in a country where homosexuality was criminalized like yeah double whammy so when did you go from there where did you go after that uh, I actually went back to Hong Kong to do my undergrad degree um, basically my mom was like as every Asian parent she was like don't leave the house so far don't go too far you're too young you have to be close to us and then she didn't allow me to go to like anywhere outside of Asia she was like your only options are Singapore and Hong Kong so I was like I'm not a big fan of Singapore because of how tiny it is and like it's just it's not my I would get bored there like I would not be able to do three years of an undergrad degree in Singapore so I chose Hong Kong which was which was great it was great but I still and it's weird because I still hadn't well I say this I quote-unquote come out yet and wasn't sort of open with my queerness and exploring it even though Hong Kong has a beautiful queer community um Mm -hmm. but I just was too terrified to do any of that fair and then wait so how many languages do you speak I speak five languages oh my god and I I struggle terribly like some of them literally terribly it's terribly some of them I literally some of them I can only speak I cannot read or write so it's that's something that's better than me so and then okay so then you went did your undergraduate in Hong Kong what did you study (laughs) so this is also another funny story because I like just defied every societal norm and my mom was like you need to do science be a doctor so I did science in GCSEs and hated it I was like this is not me and then she was like okay be a businessman because like you know that's the Asian thing to do like you need to be good with money so in my IB in my 11th and 12th in uh I did business and economics hated it I was like this is not me so I was like great what else do I do now um, and back then, unfortunately, there weren't many courses or degrees that were based around arts. This was like 2005. This was like ages ago. And it was still very much taboo to take on a career, like an actual degree. 2005? So not 2005. 2005 was school. 2010, this would be. 2009 applied. So I was 2010. Like, you are not that old. Or you were like... Sorry, or... 2009. 2009. Sorry, <laughs> were... 2009. Okay. Because that's, that's, when, I, so that's when I went to university. Yeah. So, and there weren't many options, especially then in Hong Kong. Um, so I was like, okay. Um, back then and during my years then in school, I was very passionate about social work because I was doing lots of charity work, engaging in loads of NGO work and just taking a lot of initiatives on that end. So I was like, okay, maybe something in that front would be an ideal position to be in. So I took on psychology and counseling. I did a dual degree, dual major in psychology and counseling separately 
and I loved it. I loved it so much, but I knew that I would not be sort of like a counselor or a psychologist doing one-on-one therapy sessions because that would just not be me. But I knew that I was interested in like that social aspect of mental health, community and having those difficult dialogues. But I knew that my platform was the arts, but I just did not know how to combine that. Until you were on the recently. trend of mental health before before everyone else was. You were like, you were like 10 years ahead of the game. Yeah, so it's weird. But th- that's the thing. So even since then, the conversation around mental health has changed so much. Because again, depending on where you are, mm-hmm. which country, which setting, the, the conversation is so different. Because back then, obviously, in Hong Kong itself, even like practicing as a mental health practitioner, you'd have to follow the local sort of guidelines. And it's just completely different yeah. in the ways people yeah. approach Whoa, okay. mental health as then, such. Then how, how did you... <laughs> So you got your degree in Hong Kong and then where did you go? Then I went back home because then I was like, I've done literally all sorts of degrees. I've studied science, business, um, humanities and just wasn't sure where I was headed in life. So I took a year off um, to just to just find my bearings. I went back to, yeah, Indonesia? I went back to Indonesia. It was a time where I was helping okay. out with family and stuff because we had like issues with family so I was like okay I'm gonna come home just spend some time because by then I had already spent like 10 plus years away from family so I was like okay I need to come back like spend some time with you figure out what our dynamic is so I was there for a year and a bit and while I was just chilling and relaxing and eating a lot of Indomie back home I had this offer to choreograph a friend's wedding and you know Asian weddings are like ridiculously elaborate with their music and dance yes my dream my dream is to perform at at a wedding i love it because like you have one wedding even though like two people getting married it's in essence you have hundreds of people dancing at the wedding so you're and like people of like of all ages kids and elders and it's just everyone and what was so fascinating to me was Uh, here's like a hundred to two hundred people all age groups, all backgrounds, all identities, all dance abilities, without any care in the world, but just coming together because of that love for the couple and just to dance and have fun. And I was like, yo, that is beautiful Mm -hmm. to bring everyone on one page like this through the arts. And that just blew my mind. I was like, yo, light bulb moment. This is this is this is how we yes. get through and connect to people. Okay, well then 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 this is the perfect time. I want to ask you about the project that you are currently working on. Yes. Which has to do with a wedding like this, but it's not your standard uh, you know, man woman wedding. No, no, no. No. Tell us about it. Tell us about it. Okay, so I'm through the support of our beautiful community and working on a short film called Queer Parivar, which is a story based around a South Asian queer romance between a Pakistani gay man and an Indian non-binary person, um, exploring all the nuances of love between two people like that and adding visual imagery sound and music to it so we've created an original soundtrack which is really cool we've engaged wonderful people like leo kalyan who has recorded a track for us and i'm just so excited to put that out there because i mean we don't really have many 
positive imageries, positive gender diverse imageries of Asians out there in mainstream media. There's so few. Oh, especially those that are created by queer Asians themselves. Yes. Because a lot of the narratives come, a lot of queer narratives out there come from a heteronormative lens and gaze. So that's really limiting to the experience that we have. And is there going to be a lot of dancing? There's a lot of dancing. There is a lot, a lot of dancing. Because the entire thing is centered around a wedding and there's just a lot of music and dance involved. Um, And there's, we're obviously engaging everyone, including people from the Bidden Peach involved in it. So it's going to be a party. Did you, because I know that was one of the many projects that got side railed by the pandemic. Did you end up beginning filming at all? It's, Oh, I, it's, it's still very traumatic to think about this because we yeah. literally shut down production the week before we were about to film. We had everything oh, booked. Oh, yeah, of course. We had everything, locations, the equipment, the filming yeah. crew, yeah. the cast, yeah. everything. Because the Bitten Peach was supposed to do a show on one of the same days that you were filming because remember Mahatma was going to be working on both and needed to be able to... And yes. we and it was the week before. Literally everything shut down the week before. It was oh, manic. Was, it was It was I, a it, very difficult oh, time. That was one sad day of just making hundreds of phone calls apologizing to everyone, saying that we have to indefinitely pause this. Yeah. And like at least at least the reason was a very legitimate one that was completely out of your hands. It's not like someone dropped the ball. And you had to apologize because someone did something wrong. It literally, no one was to blame yeah. for it. Yeah. So yeah. this this film you're going to be working on, hopefully, will be able to kick back into action when we're allowed to do things again. And there's going to be dancing in that. And obviously, there was some 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 dancing. We 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 did, so we were talking about you doing the choreography for a friend's wedding. And then I jumped ahead. So let's go back to that wedding. And you were inspired by the wedding. So how did that one choreography job? blossom into you being full-time professional dancer um it's weird so i've been dancing for ages since i was young thanks to my grandma because she was a massive inspiration she was a dancer herself and she was the one who really instilled that passion and pushed me to pursue it even if it was just for fun as a hobby but she always ensured that i was creating new things challenging myself and putting myself out there but to do it on a platform like thank goodness honestly thank goodness for her like i would yeah i i don't think i'd have had the courage to pursue dance in the way that I'm doing had it not been for her sort of like not just permitting me to do it but empowering me to do it sort of like telling me that I I can do it and like I should be able to do it and not to listen to others who might doubt that choice or decision um, the wedding was nice because I really enjoyed choreographing for the wedding and meeting different kinds of people and then bringing people together with so much joy and then a lot of people saw that wedding and then a lot of people reached out to do their own weddings and that spiraled from word of mouth and then I started doing a lot of weddings and one thing led to another and I literally did wedding choreography for almost a year and a half full time and I probably had and where were you where was this so this was mainly based in Indonesia Indonesia. yeah mainly based in Indonesia but some of the weddings took us to like Bali Singapore Thailand so we got to travel because you had destination weddings and it's just absolutely phenomenal when you get to travel 
um, with like these massive groups of and people. Were you choreographing people like professional dancers to do the weddings, or were you choreographing people that the the wedding party knew? So. 99% of it was literally family and friends of the bride. And oh, home. and then you'd be hired to come in and teach the friends and family a dance. Yeah. So would you often have to assess their skill level? So, yeah. So it's funny because, like, you can't tell someone not to dance because obviously they're part of the family. They're part of their circles. They have to perform. Exactly. So it's almost you have to be so ready to adjust the way you teach and be on it on the floor like if you have to change something on the spot be very receptive to that and ensuring that you're creating Uh that safe space for everyone so that they're not judging themselves and feeling uncomfortable to perform and they feel good Mm -hmm. um doing whatever they have to do so it was it was nice and i think that challenged me as well and made me very empathetic to people and their difference their ability and understanding that an art form has to be has to be accessible for people of all kinds absolutely Mm. because the goal at especially a thing like this is for everyone to have fun Mm. and look good yeah and they're not going to have fun or look good if you're having them do choreography that they cannot do exactly and i noticed when i took your classes you always give like options to give your own flavor and variations like okay like you could do it like this or you could do it like this or you could find your own groove in it and Mm -hmm. I imagine that is kind of absolutely the the mentality you would have when you're kind of trying to teach everyone and a diverse group of different abilities different ages different you know physical ability I think part of that is also that when you are with any form of education um, whether that's the arts or otherwise there is very little room to bring your own exploration to the practice. And it's almost that you need to do exactly what the instructor is um, telling you to do. And so for me, I think that would be very limiting and stifling to someone's creativity if they're not able to bring their selves to the art form and challenge what is given to them because I would I think I learn so much from other people in my dance classes when they bring a different flavor to everything and I'm like wow I like the way you're doing that I'm going to incorporate that into my practice and there's that sharing that you create and I think to build that trust to ensure that people are able to do that and share with one another is is it's wonderful thing to have you're already an international sensation doing these they're doing this choreography (laughs) how how did you end up in London and how many steps were there along the way so I knew that there was only so much that I could do with wedding choreography because I mean imagine this you're teaching five to six weddings in a month and each wedding will want to do whatever popular song is happening at that time so you're teaching literally the same song but five different choreographies in that one month it can get very boring and there's only so much you can do with what you have so I was like I'm not I didn't feel like I was growing I didn't feel like there was room for me to push further and I just needed to and plus coupled with being in Indonesia I just didn't see that as a place that I wanted to build a career in or build or settle in I knew I wanted to move beyond move away see something different um, explore my own self in a place that would allow that in, a, in an environment that would allow that yeah because what how how were you grappling with your gender identity at the time there is a lot of frustration because obviously it was something that I had to suppress and not be able to um, dialogue about in the open. So that was very much low key and I was getting very frustrated about that. And I felt like mm. it's not something that I can actively engage with 
um, given how hostile the situation might so be. did you just say, like, you know what? I'm moving to London. Peace out. I was like, packing my bags. I'm going to use a master's degree as an excuse to move out of here. Oh. Use that master's degree year. So I was like, I knew that I wanted to study anyway. I knew I wanted to study more. I knew I wanted to learn more. And fortunately, the master's degree was an excuse to then have that definitive decision to move out of home. Um, I knew I wanted to pursue the media. I wanted to pursue entertainment and everything. So I did a degree in media and communication when I moved here. I moved to Leeds, actually. So I was in Leeds for a year. And it was only supposed to be for a year. I was only supposed to come here for a year. But halfway through the degree, then we got scouted for Britain's Got Talent. And that's when I was like, okay, maybe there's a market here. Maybe there's a space here for me. Um, And I could explore that. Huh. Where's your family now? Uh, so that's, again, so which family? <laughs> so, yeah. like, my dad is based in, my dad is based in Delhi um, with my stepmom and half-brother. My mum and my brother are in Indonesia with my maternal grandparents. So if I would have to choose home-home, it would be Indonesia where my mum is because I feel like that's that's where I truly experienced life and had that love from Mm -hmm. family like that would be family to me wow oh my goodness okay so there's i have i have so many questions (laughs) imagine Um, having this conversation with a white person they would just give up in the first question itself like literally where you're from and answer unmatched goodbye (laughs) yeah um not applicable where you from? like not applicable (laughs) to be decided Unless you get the weirdos who are like, oh my god, I love Hindu culture. I'm like, oh, fetishize so it. It's so much. Oh, it's so exotic. Like, tell me more. And I'm like, ugh. Ooh. Okay, then that is that is kind of one of the questions I want to ask is, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on people doing... Okay. Ooh, I have two questions. First, Bollywood. How would you define it mm-hmm. as a dance mm-hmm. form? I think... Bollywood is one of those dance styles that doesn't have a definitive um, template. Um, you have some of the nuances that are iconic that you can obviously pinpoint as Bollywood um, standard choreography and style and flavor. But because how diverse the interpretation of Bollywood is, and how it's an amalgamation of various styles, not just Indian classical dance, but Western styles as well. There is mm-hmm. no specific way mm-hmm. to do Bollywood dance, which is why I think I gravitate towards it because I don't have to conform to any particular curriculum of dance, which I would have to with, say, Indian classical dance, mm. which I did train in for, like, many, many years. So I think there is this freedom in Bollywood dance where you can interpret it however you want. But I think there needs to be that respect and homage paid to sort of the source material that comes with yes. it and understanding what what that impact has on your practice. Because then my question comes, what are your thoughts on non- south asian people doing bollywood dance oh i like fully welcome it i'm like all about that i think people should in fact try different styles should expand their vocabulary of art styles and art forms but there is a fine line between appreciation and appropriation and i think Mm. the bottom line needs to be 
healthy cultural exchange rather than co-opting and Absolutely. Um, using a dance style for your own commercial benefit. So I think that's something that needs to be kept in mind. But fully, fully welcome people to do Bollywood dance. Take Try the it and, it's and, fun. and invite us. Take the classes. It's exactly. So like push push yourself. Your classes are push yourself to try one, something. Your classes that I've taken are some of the most fun dance classes I've taken oh, because thank the you. energy level is like off the charts you're just you so jumping around and you scream the entire time you're just yelling at the room and not like yelling like angry you're just like yelling over the music which is loud and fast and it's so much can fun. i tell you how that's come about can i tell you how that's yes, come about yes. that's tell the result everything. of teaching that's the result of teaching hundreds of people at a wedding where you oh. need to scream and shout and get hundreds of people in a ballroom to listen to you I think I've had that practice for a year and a half where you're screaming and no mic can do it other than your actual no. voice. So I'm like, no, nah, I've got... And I think that has carried on and stuck with me. And so even if I have a class of like 10 people, I'm screaming as though I have Still a thousand screaming. people in the room. But I like that because it gets people excited and it really brings the energy up and people yeah. bring people like... Just, well, because yeah. you're try- as a as a as a person learning, you have to match that energy level. You're like, oh shit! I like you are up here <laughs> on level a hundred, and I need to get there, or I won't be doing it yeah. right. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that, and I hope people listen and think, okay, yes, I could take Bollywood classes, but what mm-hmm. you shouldn't do is take a few Bollywood mm-hmm. classes and then go start teaching it. <laughs> yeah. If you're not, if if you don't have the the background, don't don't be yeah. doing that. I think even uh, those, sorry to cut you there, I think even those who do teach Bollywood and who do practice it should should engage with the source material, do their homework, engage with the politics of Bollywood, understand the kind of lyrics and the music that you're engaging with. Are you perpetuating harmful stereotypes with the kind of music mm. that you're teaching, especially if you're teaching kids and youth? Because there are there are so many songs with sexist, racist um, connotations that you may not realize you're passing down to so many people. And they're then passing it down to their own circles. So I think with any practice, it's being mindful with what you're teaching, especially as an educator, you have that responsibility to know what it is that you're imparting to your the students in your class. You did a really interesting performance at one of the Bitten Peach shows kind of on this topic where you were like teaching the audience about some of the like harmful gendered stereotypes or rules that are in Indian song, in, in Bollywood songs. Um, and then, and then you were like, you were, you were trying to subvert them and change it up because, you know, as a, as someone who doesn't understand the language Mm -hmm. for the most part, unless the bits that are in English, um, Mm -hmm. I maybe don't pick up on those things, but I know like with, I mean, Western societies know better, but a lot Mm -hmm. of Bollywood films have really stringent gender roles placed into them. Absolutely. So my question is, who was your first, first Asian icon? And I mean, maybe they played into stereotypes, maybe they didn't. This doesn't have to be a queer person. But when you were young, who was the first Asian person you saw that you were like, absolutely, yes, that is that is me. I want to be that. Does it have to be from Bollywood? <laughs> no, it can be from anywhere. Okay. It could be Lucy Liu. <laughs> uh, I think I would say my first Asian icon would be my grandma. Yes, I was hoping you would say that. Because I think, so my grandma, bless her, 
she used to perform even until the age of like 50, 60 plus. Like when I say perform, it means, you know, yes. gatherings, dressing up, outfit, costume and performing. Like with like literally show. show, show business. Like she would be like, none of you are at my level. I'm going to show you how it's done. That kind of vibe. Like, oh like you God, know, like those God. like community town halls where you gather for functions and social occasions. She would literally be like, play this yeah. music. Clear the dance floor. I'm going to show you how to do it. She was that kind of person in her 60s. Legend. Legend. So me as a child, seeing that, seeing that she didn't give like two hoots of anyone judging her. Like someone who's dancing at that age, irrespective of her ability or not, but the passion, the the genuine engagement that she brought with her dancing. I was just enamored. And I was like, she has that magnetic power to get attention to to command attention from people Mm -hmm. with she may not be moving much physically but with just the facial expressions a look here a look there a twist here a twist there and you're just like how is she doing that like i need to do that and i think that's where i was like exactly exactly just literally with the glance, with the uh, point of the finger, a little kiss. She would just like bring people to their knees. And I was like, I want to be able to do what she's doing. Uh, what you were saying with like the like just those small looks and glances and the eyes and stuff. That's something from when I've seen Bollywood films and performances. That's the thing that I love so much is like it's not just about like the body. It's about the full performance, about the emotion, about the especially the eyes, Ooh. big, big eyes just grabbing your attention. Oh, I love Absolutely. it's like romance, but visually played out in front of you. Like she's literally flirting with the audiences and she's got them like literally under her spell. And I'm like, that's fabulous. That's magnificent. Imagine being able to do that. You do do that now. I try. I try my best. Unless I'm falling down the stage because I can't see what's happening. <laughs> we've all we've all done that. The audience loves that too. Literally. I'm literally known for forgetting choreography but not letting audiences know because people know that I like fake it so much. Um, but yeah, I freestyle a lot and I think I enjoy doing stuff in the moment without having to prep too much sometimes. Well, there's something so like magical when you have to like figure out something on the bat and you have to improvise and like just be quick on your feet and figure out what to do. Like that's, I, I prefer doing that when I perform. Like I love absolutely figuring out what I'm going to say as I'm saying. It really depends on your audience as well. Like what the engagement with the audience is. Because that would dictate totally. how you interact with them. So, Graham, your grandma's an absolute legend. Um, is she still performing? Is she still with us? So she is. She's unfortunately um, got early onset dementia. So she sometimes doesn't recognize who we are, or what's happening. Ugh. But the one thing that she is absolutely still able to do is dance. You oh play God, music, she remembers lyrics so well. And I think that's such an incredible testament to the power of music and dance where she may not remember anything else going on in her life but you play a song that she likes she'll immediately get up and dance i think that's fascinating that's fascinating who are all of you dj hit my music (laughs) literally 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 that she's like i got this this is my moment from the top (laughs) 
She's like, get behind me, get behind me, follow along. You'll get it, you'll get it. Literally, and then she gets frustrated and no one joins her. She's like, y'all are so boring. Like, get on my level. Oh my gosh. Like, vibe with me. That is so brilliant. I love it. Okay, I've come to, this is the last and maybe the most important question of them all. Let's do it. One of the goals with Bitten Peach Pod is to (laughs) compile the official queer Asian Pokédex. And my goal is to catch okay. them all. So this is kind of the Queer Let's Asian Hall of Fame. So I ask every guest on the show to contribute one thing. And this could be any sort of thing. A movie, a person, a place, a food, a song, a, a, a dance form, a dance move even. That is iconically queer and Asian and should go down etched in stone for all of history to know this thing is queer Ooh. and Asian. I feel like I'm like, I want to put myself there. <laughs> but I'm like, that's a given. That's okay, an unwritten don't worry, that's rule. a given. That's a that's, given. I'm like, that's an unwritten thing. That's just given. <laughs> and and Queer Parivar is going to be in there once it's released. I was just going to say, I think my contribution to the Queer Hall of Fame would be Queer Parivar because I hope that it's something that has its own legacy and stands true um, with time because I think... As, as not just a film, I think just as a cultural moment as well, with having all of us, all of us involved in coming together um, to be a part of it. It's, it's, it's sort of this beautiful emphasis on queer solidarity, wherein we appreciate and learn about our shared commonalities, but also understanding what makes us different, what are those intersectional differences that we have with those cultural filters, especially as Asian people. And why I think it it works in the context of a Hall of Fame is that it, it archives our experiences. Um, it archives our experiences through storytelling. And hopefully it mm-hmm. it it stands as a signal of hope for the future generation, our kids to come, who will who will seek stories yes. of hope, of radical queer joy, of of love. There's not enough. There's, there's not, not enough. enough. There's, there's not there's enough. There's not enough at all. Wow. Okay. So that's the first submission to the Queer Asian Pokedex that hasn't actually been released yet. So that's very exciting. Iconic, isn't that iconic? <laughs> so I'm going to allow you. Thank you. Another. Oh. You get one more. One more. You get one more. And this could be like, this could be anyone, anything. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be something that is necessarily on paper queer and Asian. Okay. This could be something that for you was like an awakening of queerness or 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 anything. Um, it could be a character. It could be a song. It could be an appliance <laughs> i don't know if this is controversial or not but i love controversy oh we love controversy um and i think i've mentioned this to you like some time ago so i i was and i think i still am obsessed with esmeralda from the hunchback of notre dame yes yes i you have you, we have <laughs> talked about her before <laughs> I feel like she's such a queer icon who stood up for like social justice. I was just all out like she was a dancing queen. She was fun. And I think she was my awakening in the sense that I was like, I want to be like her who fights for people, but doing it with such charm, grace and badassery. And I think she deserves to be like in a queer space in the Hall of Fame. Yes. Yes. Esmeralda. She she's beaten 
Mulan <laughs> into yeah. the Pokedex. <laughs> the first one in the queer Asian Pokedex is Esmeralda. I bet I bet people didn't see that coming. If I said a Disney character was getting in, I... No. Sorry, Mulan. You've been shafted. Surprise. Surprise. Like, I mean, who doesn't want an icon dancing with a goat doing magic? <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry, Jasmine. You and your tiger have been shafted by sorry. Esmeralda and the goat. Literally, soz. But I think she was iconic. I was obsessed. Well, I she's in. Obsessed. She's, she's in. in. We've caught her. She's Done. in the Pokedex officially. I and so I, I think I, I'm developing this concept more. The reason we are not entering ourselves in is because we are not in the Pokedex. We are the we are the trainers. We are catching <gasps> as purveyor, purveyors of culture. We are catching these items and I we are that. cataloging them. I We're putting love... them in the queer Asian catalog. That's our job on this podcast. I love that. I love that so much. That is such a unique way to approach that. I love that. Oh, look at you. Full of all of this creative ideas. Metaphors and analogies. I love that. And I have loved this entire conversation. I did not know that you were an international it girl. Not girl. International it them. Oh, God. No. (laughs) It them. (laughs) I had no idea that oh you my God, were, it's so you, funny. Had, you had roots mm. across this globe. It's interesting. That have grown you into you. It's nice. I think we should all trace back everything that has contributed to who we are today. And yeah, examine what worked, what done, what doesn't work. Unlearn, unlearn all, all of that shit. Unlearn. Well, hopefully oh people God. will keep listening to the podcast and getting to hear me yes. chit chat with queer Asians like yourself. Um, would you like to tell our listeners how they can find you, keep tabs on you, yes. and keep tabs on your upcoming project that we've already put in the Queer Asian yes. Pokedex, Queer Parable? Yes. And obviously before that, I'd love, 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 love to just give a massive shout out to The Bidden Beach, to you for creating a space that has felt like home, that has felt like family at times where you can feel very isolated. You can feel like you're in the margins of the margins. To have that community, to have that support is absolutely empowering and life-saving. So I'm very, very grateful to oh. you, especially you for that. Um, so And I literally tell everyone to please follow the Bidden Beach, support the Bidden Beach's projects and you, Shishi, and like everything that you're doing. And yeah, just, just be part of that journey. Um, for as for me, I'm Shiva Raichandani everywhere, and yeah, just come, let's hang <laughs> and <laughs> reach out ha- and spell queer parvar for the listeners. Yes, queer parvar is queer as in Q U E E R, no change with that, and parivar is P A R I V A A R. Parivar means family, so queer parivar is queer family, and Everyone here is part of that. Oh, wow. Just by listening, you've been roped into this family, whether you like it or not. And we hope you did like it. And we hope you come and listen to our next episode. Uh, The Bitten Peach Pod is hopefully going to be coming out every single week. Until next time, I will say so long to you. So long, farewell, Avita Zane. Goodbye. Okay. Ooh, can you say goodbye in all five languages that you speak? Oh, God, no, don't do that to me. <laughs> okay. Um, English, uh, goodbye. Uh, Hindi is... Oh, oh, my God, what do you say bye in Hindi? Acha, I'm chalte, I'm going now. Sindhi is... Acha, ma vanyato. Take care of yourself. And then French is au revoir. Indonesian is... Oh, my God. Um, d- 
Indonesia is like da, aku pergi da. Like da, you don't really say bye. Like sampai jumpa is like until next time. So yeah. I like that. Okay, so not goodbye. Until, until next, next time. time. Perfect end to that. Thanks for listening to the Bit and Peach Pod. Make sure to tune in next week where we're going to have a new guest and a new addition to the queer Asian Pokedex in our attempts to snatch them all. Make sure to tell your friends to listen to this podcast and give us a review on whatever you're listening to this podcast on. And you can even find us on Instagram at Bit and Peach Pod. Play this music, clear the dance floor. I'm going to show you how to do it.